Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Storyteller Studio. We are on the road again, and wow, did we go the extremes. I mean, we've been to Madison and Minneapolis and down near the Kansas City area and over to Grand Rapids, Michigan, but this time we are in Mesa, Arizona with the second longest guy that I have known with my association with radio. The longest person that I have known is Chuck Doyle. But today we're sitting down with who many of you may remember as Shotgun Mark Rivers. And now everybody knows him as Mike Lamb with no weapon name associated. That's right. No <laughs> weapon name at all. Yeah, yeah. So where are we going to begin this journey? Because holy crap. Wow. I don't know if you can cram 40 <laughs> years of relationship into, uh, into uh, this single uh, episode, but... We can try. Yeah, we yeah. can certainly try. Well, there's no rules. So, do do you want to start out with how we met, or do you want to start out with how you got into radio? It's up to you. Wow. Well, you know, I got into radio. You know, my mom and dad uh, knew that I was a tinkerer, and they got me a crystal set when I was 11 years old. So there I am, laying in bed at night, over the covers, you know, over my head, listening to this crystal radio, mm-hmm. and I'm blown away. And you are in what city? I'm in Wichita, my hometown. Okay. And I'm laying there listening to various radio stations locally, but I'm also listening to WLS in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing these voices. And I guess at that moment, I wanted to be one of the boys in the box. And you were influenced by somebody that far away. Yeah. I mean, are you talking like John Records Landecker? Well, remember, this was, I was 11 years old, so um, this would have been early 60s. Oh, my. Okay. So Dick Bianti? Well, no, it'd be the night people. Yeah, it'd be the night people. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. And later, as I got older, of course, I listened to LS a lot, but, you know, back then, I really didn't, I don't remember the voice, I don't remember the names of the voices at 11 and 12 years old. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they just didn't stick. But the adventure was in my head. And when I was 14, I went to a science fair at the Beechcraft Activity Center. And, the, and of course, Wichita is where, you know, a lot of planes were made and still are. Mm-hmm. And Beach, which is now uh, Raytheon, I think. They had this big science fair. And a lot of the high schools participated. And I went there just to look around and see what was going on. And there was a kid who was about my age who was running a radio station. (laughs) And it was really... 
He was running the radio station at the fair. Yeah, and he was oh broadcasting from the fair. It's very <laughs> amateurish, you know. But still, but it was cool. And I thought, well, next year, <laughs> that'll be me exactly. <laughs> and it was. Screw this airplane crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I I built a radio station, at, at, you know, for the science fair. And, uh, you know, first of all, let me tell you that I went to the radio stations that I was hanging out with and some of them had equipment and said, oh, yeah, you know, you can have that. Or I got this Gates mixer and I got some bunch of other stuff and whatever. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I was just about ready to drive. Okay, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you could haul it around. So I got my car. (laughs) My mom and dad gave me a car when I was, you know, got my license and I got a trailer from Sparkle Rental. (laughs) And I put these big-ass 15-inch turntables that I got from a station in Wichita. And I had semi-professional equipment. Wow. Okay. Now, I didn't take the turntables to the science fair. I built a radio station out of a student desk. And I carved holes in and I put turntables in. I had a slot car transformer and an 8-track. And that's how I played my music. And these were the giant toggle switch turntables, the mercury switches, the big clunk, 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 clunk. Yeah. And I built them inside this student desk. Oh, my. And it was heavy. I mean, I needed people to, you know, lift it and whatever. And you didn't lose any fingers throughout this process. Wow. Good for you. And, you know, I was the guy that year at the science fair. You know, I don't even remember what year, what grade I was in, early high school. And then... For the next two years, I ran that radio station out of my bedroom. Man. And there were people that I met at different high schools and whatever that would come over and do shifts. Wow. In my house. (laughs) My mom was not happy. (laughs) Well, it it beat a garage band, though. Yeah. Because, you know, most people had garage bands. That's true. That's true. That's loud and annoying in itself. Yeah. But, you know, I had some monitors in my in my bedroom because the radio station was in my bedroom and I had a um, microphone. light. I didn't have the relays that would turn on the microphone light when you turned on the microphone, but I had the foot switch. So you turn on the microphone and then you hit the foot switch and the big floodlight outside of my bedroom door would illuminate the hallway in my mom's living room. God, that is so good. <laughs> of course, they hated it. Did you have call letters? Oh, yeah. What did, you, what did you call it? Well, originally, the call letters were K-O-O-L for oh, cool. Oh, of course. And then Jeez. we found out there was a Phoenix radio station called Cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was a little concerned. You, know, you were? That maybe, you know. Oh, that they'd find you? Exactly. <laughs> so um, the year before that, I'd formed the Kansas Grass Mowers Association. Oh, my God. So the call you, letters what you, were... What are you, like, a, a, a straw away from unionizing or pretty something? Pretty much, yeah. We had a bunch oh of guys in the neighborhood, so we were the Kansas Grass Mowers Association. <laughs> what the hell? So the call letters for the radio station changed to KGMA. Come on. And then we called ourselves the donation station throughout the nation because different people would donate things that we could give away, or the radio station, KWBB in Wichita, donated, KAKE donated some stuff. I had... Magnetic signs made up from you did car. not. I did, I did. Yeah, and and never associated <clears throat> with the school. No, I was kind of a nerd, you know, in school, you know, audiovisual, that kind of stuff, and sure. whatever. And um, it was, you know, it was it was kind of cool. There were people that came over to the radio station in my bedroom, 
and you know it's like oh it's it's uh uh john is here for his uh two-hour shift yeah <laughs> you know? and they would have the same process if they wanted to make a request they just come to the door and knock well you know yeah. I, I did give them my mom's phone number and the phone number <laughs> did get called a few times that is the most exaggerated way of getting girls into your bedroom I have ever exactly. heard Exactly. And here's the funny thing. <laughs> when I would go to the radio station and hang out with the radio station DJs at KEYN and, and some of these other stations, KLEO was the, the big 1480, uh -huh. and, and uh, Charlie Tuna did Morning Drive. Are you kidding? When he was known as Billy O'Day. As in Los Angeles, Charlie yeah, Tuna? Absolutely. Whoa. Yeah. He went from Wichita to Oklahoma City, and then I think he went out to LA after that. But uh, wow. you can look it up on Wikipedia. So literally you were walking in that radio station while Charlie was there? He did morning, so I wasn't there in the morning. But I'd go hang out at night with the okay. guys. Okay. Rick Gannon was the guy that at night. And then later, when I came back to Wichita and worked at some stations, kind of midway through my career, I met all these guys again. It's like, okay. oh, yeah, I remember you. Nice. Because Clio was the radio station that was out in the middle of the field. Near the transmitter, probably. With the transmitter. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go to work, you have to drive all the way out, you know, past Wichita to wherever the transmitter was. And, and a lot of these guys, I mean, there was no security back then. You know, nobody wow. was freaking out about you showing up. Listeners would show up. Winners would show up. Yeah, of course. And, you know, women would show up, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, going out and hanging out with these radio guys. Andy Barber, who spent most of his career in Tulsa after he left Wichita, uh, was one of the guys that said, hey, look, I'm going out. Spin records for me while I, while I get back. <laughs> you know, I got to go get some cigarettes. I got to go get lunch or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, this was usually, you know, after 3 o'clock in the afternoon, because I did go to school. Yeah, well, good. That's and nice. And when I wasn't running my radio station, I was hanging out at all these other radio stations. Yeah. And using their production studios. Oh, man. And, I mean, I had full run of uh, KEYN's production studio, KFH's FM, uh, AM and FM studio. God bless them for their generosity. Oh, my gosh. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Because you, know, you think of the careers, and we did the same thing, just in different radio stations, yeah. but you think of the careers that would not have been launched if they go, eh, I don't have time for you. Eh, no. Exactly. Eh. But, but they did. And, and maybe, honestly, maybe it was a pay-forward thing where they go, you know, so-and-so. Did this years, for me. Yeah, yep. so now I'm in the position. Let's do it. Exactly. Wow. So there were disc jockeys that, uh, you know, they would mention me on the air from time to time. And, and one of them, it might have been Andy Barber, he said, yeah, and this is, uh, you know, I was gone, so Mike Lamb, you know, spent a couple of records for you, and this is the kid that's, uh, he's the only disc jockey in Wichita that's got a bed in his control room. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a young, naive kid, you know, it's like, I know what's going on. I learned a lot from just, you know, watching listening observing we all did and seeing what they did yes you know how they treated listeners on the on the phone right you know when people called up for trivia hey i got a question my buddy and i are thinking this is the artist on this particular title nope it's this one. Oh, yeah you won you make me uh, you help me win 20 bucks i'll send you you know five bucks or whatever yeah and you also learn by observing 
an announcer has to be sort of like an octopus because you're grabbing carts and queuing up records oh, and yeah. grabbing scripts and exactly. checking the AP. No computers back then. No. You're running back and forth. And, yeah. you know, it's like... And, and either you go, oh, that's exciting. I would love to be part of that. Or, holy crap, I can never keep that straight. And then you dump. Exactly. You know? But you give an idea when you observe that kind of stuff. Exactly. And I miss the carousels. I miss the carts. I miss the interaction because I've done both extremes i mean mm -hmm. recently at wluv it was all right there's a computer screen then you just click it and yep. and everything's off the walls and it used to be literally floor to ceiling in 45s or carts and of course when they redid the radio station there's just there's nothing but a screen it allows you to do some other stuff obviously it took the sexiness out of it mm -hmm. exactly yeah. exactly i i remember countless times we would do April Fool's jokes when you had carts mm -hmm. and, you know, you're going to play commercials and promos and whatever. So on, you know, April Fool's, you would switch out content, but you wouldn't change the label on the cart. <laughs> so it's time for someone to play a certain commercial or whatever, and they stick it in and they have no idea what's going to come up. None. Because you've, you know, changed out the audio on the cart. And now they're gun shy for any other cart they pick up. Oh, yeah, on. exactly. <laughs> you have no idea what's coming next. And, of course, we didn't do anything that was going to get anybody in trouble or lose a station license or anything. No, but God forbid that you have to play, because of your paranoia because of that first one, that you would have to preview everything in queue to make sure you're not going to get burned. Oh, i got to tell you a quick story. When I was in Cincinnati, the radio station control room butted up against the production room, and you could look into the control room from the production room, but you could control the console from the production room. What? So there was a guy, what was his name? His name was Dale Bell. He was this cool black dude. Okay. And he worked weekends at Kiss 96 in Cincinnati. Okay. And we came, I don't remember who I, who I was with. We were in the production room and it was like, it had to be late Sunday night, Saturday night, whatever. And we would literally mess with him. You know, he'd get ready to turn the mic on and we'd turn the mic off. Or he'd get ready to start talking and we'd, we'd play an effect or something on something that was plugged in. This reminds me of the little rascals with buckwheat and the garden hose. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. <laughs> and and he was, he had no clue what was going on. And we kept messing with him for a few minutes, you know. And, and then he said, uh, okay, so uh, the radio theater you've been listening to... <laughs> It's courtesy of Mike Lamb and whoever else is behind me in the production studio. You're right. You know, it and, was so funny. And if you ever thought we had ghosts in the radio station. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we ghosts do. Ghosts in the machine. Yeah, we yeah. do. <laughs> um, but yeah, though, I mean, obviously with computers now, you know, you're you're not going to get in there and mess with the programming or anything. No. You know? But yeah, I love carts. Carts were, were great. We still do have uh, some carts in our storyteller studio back in Rockford at Edgebrook. I think one of them was a Barbara Mandrell promo for me. And I think another one was some kind of a sort of like a anti-disco song mm -hmm. that Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer put together. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, why I have got that cart, I have zero clue. And um, my love, Diane, will tell you that I have a garage full of stuff that she's been wanting me to get rid of for years. And I keep bringing it from one house to the next and one city to the next. And she's helped me move it 
God knows how many times, mm-hmm. and I've got two or three boxes of carts. <laughs> now, I don't have a cart machine right now. No. Okay. No. So at some point, I'm going to get a cart machine, and then I'm going to dub them off, and I'll have the audio of those carts. When's the last time you saw a cart machine? Oh, wow. Because um, I can tell you, last time I saw one was about four months ago, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Jim Mulvaney and Joe Soto and Lisa Fielding, we did a Storyteller Studio all together, and then uh, we were at WBBM's production room. And she said, you know, after we're done, I want to show you the other stations, because Odyssey owns six radio stations in Chicago. I want to show you the other studios, because they're drastically different, and they're, they're just really, really cool, and we get it when we see it, you know. So Jim says, well, we can make my office part of the tour. So we go into his office, and he's got an authentic cart machine. And it was, it was from the Rockford area. Is it a single or a triple? Single. Ah. Yeah. What brand? you remember? I don't remember. I don't. So we both worked for the guy that invented the cart machine. Yes. Vern, Vern Nolte. Vern Nolte. Yeah. And I remember the day when, I think it was Jim Lupus, widely respected engineer, and he's one of those guys that would show up at the radio station. I think he did work for ROK as well. But he would show up at the radio station, and, and this equipment would just show up. And I remember the day that the triple-decker showed up. Before it got installed, they brought it over and, and showed Vern that it, you know, how it worked and whatever. I don't know the backstory, but I do remember that we were one of the first radio stations in the country wow. that got the triple-decker cart machine wow. that would fire... Off yes. Each other. Yes, exactly. So you literally could put a song in there and have a jingle and then have another song. The song comes down, the code hits, the jingle hits, and you could go to the bathroom and have two songs segue with a jingle in between. Yeah, as long as you had a monitor in the bathroom exactly. and you knew where the thing was. Exactly. And, and imagine what it was before the trip tones. Because the trip tone would stop the cart right before the beginning of the recording. Exactly. And all you had to do after this trip tone, because it would just it would knock off by itself, is just hit it again and off you'd go. But you can imagine the crapola that people had to go through before that. Sure. And Vern Nolte was a pioneer for that. And I'll tell you, it, people have said it over and over and over again. Vern was equal to all departments, whether it be sales or news or engineering or on air. He did not favor one department over the other. Nope. And when you walked in, you say, hey, what about this? Either it's a challenge or a new this or a new this. He goes, get it. Order it. Let's get it in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. He wanted to be cutting edge from the very beginning. He was. He was a visionary. Yep. You know, I think we were both fortunate to work at that radio station. I was fortunate to work at that station at the time because that, for me, ROK and, and working in Rockford was a defining moment for me in radio wow did you have much exposure to Vern since you were doing nights you know not really I mean I saw him at you know different events and parties and obviously in the hallway and whatever what what really you know was striking was that he was he reminded me like he did of a lot of people of Alfred Hitchcock oh absolutely you know but he had the cigar or the cigarette holder. Yes, he did. You know, <laughs> like FDR. And, and yeah, and I and I remember that so vividly. You know, put out one cigarette, put another cigarette in the holder, and light it up. And it's like I just thought that was so freaking sophisticated. Yeah, and it was just kind of parlance for what was going on. You know, the radio station as a whole, and the industry as a whole. And I think yeah. so too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because you, you got to sort of keep ahead of the curve, and some people just either couldn't afford it or weren't visionaries yeah. or whatever, and that's why ROK sort of kicked butt and took names, and yeah. then ZOK followed and did the same thing. Yeah. Why do you think that Rockford's time 
was a defining moment. You think it's because the radio station gave you a leash to explore? I got to do things on that station that I didn't ever think I'd be able to do. Mm -hmm. As long as I was entertaining and doing what I was supposed to do, you know, filling out the logs and the, you know all the things that you need to do as a personality on the air, I really got to Man. play. Now, I got to play before I got to Rockford, but Rockford for me was more a feel like it was a major market. Yeah, I as would opposed agree. to a smaller market. Yeah, you know? I would agree with that. I mean, yeah. we did some crazy things when I was in Wisconsin and, and worked with Howard Johnson and Danny Carpenter. We had no budget, so we were doing promotions like um, Old Fashioned Coat Hanger Weekend. <laughs> what is that? And we would give away <laughs> a piece of paper that had a large tenpenny nail on it because that was what the Old Fashioned Coat Hangers were. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that was your prize cabinet? Yeah. That was that they we did all these really clever, creative, unique things and the listeners loved it. Wow. And then at the same the three of us actually moved out to Frederick, Maryland and did uh what became Z104, but it was 14ZYQ before that. And we did like get into our pants weekend where we gave away <laughs> jeans. We did a booby trap weekend where we gave away halter tops. Oh, nice. I mean, we did stuff like that that was creative, but was borderline, you know, Me Too movement borderline kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that you, obviously, you know, you, you really can't do today. But again, it wasn't it, it wasn't offensive back then. It was fun. Yeah. It was, you know, oh, clever, isn't that? Oh, it's a little double entendre, but it wasn't, you know, objective did necessarily. You, did you have, now this is years after you were at ROK. Uh, Bill Phillips was doing mornings, and I think it was when Doug McDuff was sort of stepping in at the last hour because he was in the sales department. And, of course, Doug had been on the air for decades before that. But they bought into some kind of a subscription-type theme promo thing that was very market-specific that was called Heine Wine. Oh, yeah. I remember Heine Did Wine. Really? Yeah, it was a syndicated show. Was it? Yeah. And and there was all kind of double entendres. Oh, that you was know. the guy. Oh, what was his? Was it uh, Gary Burbank out of WLW in Cincinnati? I, I think, remember that name. Did that. I think he's the one that came up with Heine Wine. He also did All American Earl. Don't remember that. It was like the Chicken Man episodes, okay, <laughs> yeah. where you would have these two-and-a-half-minute vignettes, and it would be story time and, you know, episodic radio kind of thing. Yeah, but this Heine Winery thing, they would supply you script. Yeah. And you were doing the live commercial. Yeah. You were doing the spots. Yeah. yeah. And they were saying, there's nothing like sticking a straw in your Heine. Yeah. And on yeah. and on oh, yeah. and it on. Was, it, was, it was very fun. It was very creative, but not super objectionable. Not at all. Not at all, depending you know. on how the receiver took it. Exactly. But they would always bump it up against the news. Mm -hmm. So they would get that news guy across the hall, whether it be John Strander or Bob Pressman, yeah. and they would try to set him up and get mm -hmm. him giggling. Yep. And then, of course, you know, hey, it's time for Bob in the news. And, you know, those guys pulled it off, yeah. but some people just couldn't get their composure really quick. Oh, my gosh. And it was hilarious. Yeah. You and know, it was just spoon-fed to him. You know, Mark, uh, was it Mark Cawthon, mm -hmm. who was the news guy when I was on the air at ROK at night? You're not talking about Cliff Albert. No, this was this was Mark. Very straight-laced, kind of like Pressman, okay. but he was very, very straight-laced, okay. really hard to crack up. But I remember one day we um, 
you know, we did the high school basketball game or whatever. And I was out there with uh, Geronimo, Don Geronimo. I had a rubber chicken that was kind of like a, a bit on my show for a while. Okay. You do realize this is radio, not TV. So Ex- why did you have a prop? Yeah. So, <laughs> but you're live, you know, at a basketball game and whatever. Oh, oh so you had it at the game. So, yeah. So I brought oh. the rubber chicken at the game. Oh, I got you now. So anyway, I'm okay. thinking I'm going to break up Mark, who's, you know, doing the newscast because the news is at the top of every hour. Right. You know, so I put a thing in the ceiling and I put a string on the rubber chicken. <laughs> and while he was wrapping up the news... I was bringing the rubber chicken down from the ceiling. <laughs> and I thought, that's going to get him. You know, he's got, you know, it's like, eh, blah, 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 blah. And uh, Rockford weather, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, that's very clever. That rubber chicken coming down from the ceiling or whatever, you know. <laughs> but okay. I, and I did several things like that over the, you know, year and a half that I was there in Rockford. And I'm trying to figure out how to get him to break up, yeah. you know, to get him to laugh. Yeah. And then I figured out what it was. Now, you remember at, at ROK, the newsroom studio faced the control room, and there was a little hallway. Yeah, with our mailboxes in it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'd go over to where the beautiful music tape machines were playing. Uh, the automation. WZOK, which yes. was a beautiful music station. Yeah, 24 hours of sunshine. Exactly. <laughs> so I thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to carry... A bunch of carts. Okay. I'm going to open the door. Okay. And while he's doing his news, I'm going to carry this armload of carts and I'm going to trip myself and carts are going to fly all Down over Down the they place. go. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. I was laughing already before I got to the point where I opened the door and I'm going <laughs> to dump these carts on the floor. And I, you know, I just tucked my foot in front of my other foot and I went, sailing across yeah. the window. Yes. And all of these carts go sailing away in front of me. I open the door to the beautiful music, com- you know, uh, 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 tape machines, and there's a monitor there, and I just turned up the monitor, okay. and there was dead air. He had lost it. He lost it. And there was nobody to turn it over to because no. you were out of the control Exactly. Room. So I don't even remember what story he was in the oh, middle of. Oh, no. But I got him good. And the poor guy couldn't even go to commercial or oh, anything. Uh, you know, it's like <laughs> he'd had to, he had to regain his composure. It was probably 25, 30 seconds. Oh. And then he came back and he's like. <laughs> and that's an eternity. And then he picked up the story and went off. Oh, went that's on. funny. But yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, <laughs> he was so pissed at me. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> let's uh, let's hear your version of the story on how we met. As I recall, I was in some horrible looking tuxedo. Don Geronimo was with me. Yes, he and was. And we were doing the music for the prom mm-hmm. at Auburn High, Auburn High School. And I was dating a girl, Jerry, which was a year young, uh, a year older than I am. So right. I was able to go to the prom as a junior. Was it her prom? It was her prom. Okay. Yep. And we talk. To today, we do after all. Oh, these that's years. so cool! She called me up about a month ago, and I hear the voice on the other end. I didn't really pay attention to the phone ID, so I didn't really know who it was. And she says, "Tim, I need you to drop what you're doing now and go to Iceland because they had just returned." <laughs> she says, "You and your camera, holy crap!" Wow! And she started rattling off all these things. And of course, I says, well, hey, you can turn into my travel agent and you can book me right now if you know all this stuff. And yeah. she goes, come on over. Wow. And of course, I didn't take her up on it because 
you know, I'm not ready to go to Iceland just as an impulse. Yeah. But we still talk on a pretty regular basis today all these years later. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. I dated her for seven years. Wow. So you were sort of in the middle when we met. You were sort of in the middle of those seven years. Okay. Because we were high school and college. So that night you had come up to me and as I recall, you had said, hey, we're going to start, uh, we want to start a radio station at Auburn High. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can help us? And what do you remember me saying? Without hesitation, you pointed right at my chest and you said, I will help you with that. And two weeks later, you had donated old production equipment from the upstairs garage at WROK. You told me that you walked into Vern Nolte and said, here's the deal. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, I think there's some stuff up there. Go ahead and go ahead and take that stuff. Yeah. Talk to so-and-so, the engineer or whatever, and there's stuff over there that we're, uh, you know, we're going to donate or, you know, throw away or whatever. Pick out anything that's olive green is basically what, what, that's how how old it was. It looked like military equipment of some sort. Yeah, it really did. (laughs) I still have a picture of this, of you in our basement which my mom still lives in the house. How about the TV stations? Oh, wow. And you were teaching, I think in the in the picture, it was you and Gary Morgan and myself, you were teaching us how to run the equipment. And Dave Seddon was our quote-unquote engineer classmate. Mm-hmm. And you were teaching him how to sort of set it up to the transmitter. And we could be heard probably about two blocks from the high yeah. school. That's was about- it, it was a carrier current AM transmitter, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. W-A-R-Q. Yeah. And it stood for Auburn's Radio Club, and club yeah. was spelled with a Q. See, and I remember thinking that, well, I built a radio station when I was, you know, in high school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm sure the equipment's better. We know the transmitters were better. I mean, I remember I had a, uh, today it's the equivalent of an AM transmitter called the Range Master 1000. And according to the FCC, you can broadcast... With one-tenth of a watt. Without any licensing? Without any licensing or anything. Okay. And what I did was I figured out you could have 10 feet of antenna from the transmitter. So I put my transmitter on a 20-foot pole. <laughs> so Literally. You, I, so you outwitted them on math, Yeah, basically. Yeah. And I don't think anybody, you know, I used to tell people <laughs> that my dad would, you know, be upset that the FCC would come to the door occasionally and say, turn down the wattage, you know. <laughs> Um, but that really never happened. Of course but, not. But I did have a uh, a transmitter. I guess you could call it like an exciter mm-hmm. <clears throat> that I did put at the beginning of the signal, so it would really overmodulate. It didn't. It wasn't distorted. But I covered half the south end of Wichita. Did you really? When I was broadcasting. Yeah. Wow. Now, when I went to you know, shopping centers and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And we did that on occasion. There was like Twin Lakes. It was Seneca, uh, Seneca Square. There was a couple of other shopping centers where I would go and do a little reconnaissance and meet the, you know, the people that ran the stores and say, hey, you know, I was, oh, I was featured in the um, youth section of the Wichita Eagle newspaper. Nice. And uh, we're going to be broadcasting here at the shopping center would you like to buy some advertising? You were way ahead of your time. I kind of was. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I got pizza. Um, after that article came out, agencies sent me commercials to play. On Reel to Reel? On Reel to Reel, on record. Oh, please. Yeah. A commercial on a record. Oh, yeah, because back then, you didn't have a lot of Reel to Reel equipment. 
or carts for that matter. Oh, carts wasn't a yeah. you know it was a a glimpse you know into the future. Yeah, but yeah, I mean I remember <laughs> oh Lego God. and Whitehead was the advertising agency that first sent me commercials, and they sent me coupons for Mountain Dew. <laughs> That's and so like six commercials on on an album in return for giving me coupons that I could either use myself or give away on the air. My first sale for a radio commercial was Jerry's Hamburgers Restaurants in Rockford, and they gave it to me on a reel-to-reel. And I had no way of playing that reel-to-reel at all, period. Yeah. yeah. And so I took it back over to WROK, and I go, can you help me out with this? I don't know what to do. And they go, oh, sure, yeah, give me a minute. And then Mark Larson went in the production room and put it on a cart and said, here you go. Yeah. 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 And Nick Scott sort of kept me occupied. Yeah. And that's where I saw the WZOK automation for the first time. Oh, wow. Because he gave me a tour of the radio station while they were dubbing off the reel. But that was, well, I think that was probably the only radio commercial I sold on WARQ because everybody else goes, what? Why, what are you doing? And I said, well, come on. This has got to be better than buying an ad in the back of the yearbook. Exactly. But eh, I wasn't so much of a salesperson back then. So the next stage of us meeting after starting the high school was yeah because i got fired shortly after that did you shortly after that (laughs) no it wasn't shortly after. that'll teach you to help those high school exactly no um, (laughs) ne'er-do-wells let's see we had the christmas party no it was the new year's eve party uh geronimo and i did a new year's eve party with uh naked dancing girls beer and pretzels and uh Whatever else we had. So naked course, dancing girls, that's not, a, all, that's not a metaphor. That's no, actual. No, well, there were women there, but they weren't naked. <laughs> oh, But okay. this was, I mean, this is what we said on the air. Oh, gotcha. Well, so, see, you drew me right in. Yeah. So I there, believed it. There's a tape rolling around somewhere. I have it. I can't find it. Of Geronimo and me doing the night, uh, the New Year's Eve party, ringing in the new year and doing all kinds of, you know, stupid bits and whatever. Um <laughs> And I think that's probably, I think I was fired like maybe a month and a half after that. I think that's why, even though I didn't get fired right away, I think there was some fallout from that. Uh, yeah. But I remember Dave Hamilton taking me to breakfast. Like Dave Hamilton was your PD. Yeah, he took me to breakfast and he said, eh, shotgun, I'm going to have to let you go. And you're going, what does exactly that mean? What is that? What? Yeah, what does that I, well, mean? I, you know, what? You're going to let you... me go to a remote? Yeah, no, but, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. No, <laughs> no. It was so funny because I just knew that my time was up there. But the same thing did not happen to Don Geronimo, although he was part of it? Yeah, I wonder what was going on there. But I'm trying to remember, Geronimo might have, if he left before that, because, I, oh. I, you know, and I, if he and I ever talk, um, he knows this happened. I helped him edit the air check that got him the job at 13Q in Pittsburgh. Oh, my. You know, you know he's back in Washington, D.C. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. He's, he's, doing, a, he's doing mornings again. Yeah, at uh, Big 100. Yep. He spent yep. a lot of years in Sacramento. Yep. And then now he's back in D.C. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I know there's a long, uh, sordid history of uh, me and Geronimo because I was in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. years later, 83, and they're talking about, I'm doing six to 10 at night as Shotgun Mark, and they're saying, oh, well, this other guy's coming in to save the ratings. They're bringing him in to, during the rating period so we can, you know, save the ratings. And it's like, oh, okay, what is it? And they brought in Geronimo. To do mornings? No, to do afternoons. 
to save the ratings. Yeah, that's what that's was, what I was told. Was this B ninety four? Yeah, B ninety four in a row. Because that is our second stage of getting back together again. It was eighty three. Yeah. And you and I still, to this day, have no idea how we got together because that was pre-cell phone, pre-text, pre-email, pre-all that. Absolutely. I have no clue how we found each other. But you were at B94 in Pittsburgh, and I was at WKAZ in Charleston, West Virginia. That's right. So it's maybe, what, a three-hour drive? Yeah, about that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we talked, and he says, hey, well, come on up for the weekend. So my girlfriend at the time and I came up. We had a great time through nobody's fault. It's not like something happened. We didn't talk or have any communication for 30 years. I know. I mean, that's just stupid. But it wasn't as easy back then. No. That's true. And everybody's moving around. Yeah, so who's got an address? Yeah. You know, phone numbers. <laughs> Current address. Yeah, you didn't keep the same phone number. No. You change cities, you're dead, you know. Yeah, pretty Good much. luck. Yeah, and you get some old lady, some old <laughs> Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. answering the phone goes, no, he's not in the basement anymore. Yeah, really? Yeah. And uh, it was uh, 2013. Do you remember this side of the story when it was WROK's 90th birthday? Oh, yeah. You do remember the story. Oh, sure. Go right ahead. Well, WROK is going to have their 90th birthday, their 90th anniversary. And you're one of those people that's helping people track down people who used to work there. Mm-hmm. You have a sister in Chandler. Arizona, yes. Chandler, Arizona, right yep. down, pretty much right down the street. Mm-hmm. You, you know, reached out and we connected. I couldn't go, you know, to the actual event, but you brought memorabilia <laughs> from there. From there. <laughs> so you had a parting gift no matter what. I did. Yeah. And I still have the mug. And the in-between that was when um, Steve Bertrand, who was in the uh, newsroom, it sort of became a competition between Chuck Doyle and Steve Summers and... Jan Thorpe and Linda Sissler were tracking down all these people. Oh, no kidding. It did. That I did not know. So when I went back into the radio station, Steve says, you're never going to guess who I found. And we all played that. Mm -hmm. And he says, you remember Shotgun Mark Rivers? And I go, holy crap, do you not know the story? Well, he didn't know the high school story and all that stuff. Exactly. He didn't know any of that. Yeah. So I told him, and he says, well, here's the email. He's out west somewhere. So I shot you the email. Oh, my God, I remember Auburn High School, blah, 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 blah. I said, well. (laughs) I I said those exact words in that exact way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I said, well, it just so happens I'm going to be out there in December. My Mm -hmm. nephew's graduating. Let's get together. I can remember Diane being there, and Diane, honestly, bless her heart, she didn't say one word the entire afternoon because here we are with memorabilia. We're finishing each other's sentences, and she's just almost like a spectator at a hockey game. (laughs) And she's just sort of watching the stuff go back and forth. We're bringing up Dan Campbell and Jack Randall and, of course, Dondra and Bobby B. Soder and, oh, yeah. and Mel Young and, you know, Carl Hamilton and all these people. And you worked with them, but I listened to them. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's about a nine-year difference between our ages. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's about right. Yeah. And it was even though our birthdays are like, you know, one day apart, one day apart. (laughs) And we were, by the way, happy birthday, because I know it's tomorrow. It is tomorrow. And then mine's the day after. So, yeah. Yeah. We had just a little bit of a birthday thing for you last night. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Yeah, we did. It was just a tiny gathering. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, there was a, I I, I turned another decade and I never want to say it out loud, but um, 
yeah, there was uh, it was a it was a nice uh, nice surprise party in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, because I had absolutely no clue. There was about thirty four people there at a neighborhood restaurant. They did a really really good job. The first domino, as I understand it, that turned this over. Diane and Mike's sister Trish is sitting here in the same room with us here in Mesa. And Diane sort of red herringed you saying that her girlfriend was coming in to visit. That's right. Three months ago. She's saying, oh, my girlfriend Tina's going to come and visit on December 17th, and she's going to be here for five days. And I thought, oh, that's great. And then it was, okay, well, here's what we have to do to the house. We have to do this, and you have to do this, and all these (laughs) other things. And I had this laundry list of things, and I thought, okay, it's three months away. Well, I'll do this then, I'll do this then, and whatever. Well, then it gets a little closer, and it's a little bit more intense. Yeah, pick up the pace, Mike. Exactly, (laughs) you know, clean this room, do that, hang that, put that over there, get rid of that, you know, that sort of thing. Okay, no problem, you know. And then I'm thinking, well, this, you know, I'll I'll go with her, you know, to you know pick her up. And then I thought, nah, I'll just, you know, she'll show up and whatever. Yeah, and it's a gr- it's a girlfriend thing. Yeah, they're gonna talk yeah. in the car on the way back, and no big deal. You yeah. Know? And I thought, what am I gonna do when Tina's here for five days? Okay, we're gonna go on a hay rack ride. We're gonna go see the Christmas lights and <laughs> a few other things. But generally, it's her friend. Yes. So then she's picking her up at the airport, and I'm sitting here watching some sci-fi alternative reality show. So that's in my head when Diane walks in and says, oh, I went to the airport, and look who I found. My sister steps, you know, from behind her, and I went, I don't remember Tina looking like Trish. And then it was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, you know, I was shell-shocked for a moment. I turned away, and I went, Am I in an alternative universe? (laughs) Did I just step through a wormhole? (laughs) What's going on? And when's the last time you saw Trish? What's it been? Four years? Oh, so a pretty significant time. Yeah, at least. Oh, that's even better. Holy cow. And then it was like, am I having a stroke? (laughs) (laughs) Because I am a decade older. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So, yeah. But it's been great, obviously. Uh, In fact, when we're done here... uh, a little bit more time with her, and then we have to take her to the airport. Yeah. And last night when I uh, went into the birthday party, the traffic was just insane. And here it is a Tuesday night, but it's 5 o'clock. Yeah. So I just didn't anticipate that kind. So I was maybe seven minutes late, and everybody was sitting down, and Mike was sort of going through uh, the, the tables. Hey, glad you're here. So, of course, Diane's, you know, clicking pictures and whatever. And I didn't know half the people in the room. Mm -hmm. And Diane says, hey, Mike. And he turns around, and there I stand. And he gets this drained look on his face (laughs) like, holy crap, are you kidding me? When he came over to me, I said, I I don't care for that hat. (laughs) I have no idea what it even said on it. It didn't matter. It was a Chicago hat, I think. Yeah. So I pulled out the WROK embroidered hat and gave it to him, and it's like, it's been surgically attached to you ever since. Pretty I much, yeah. Did you yeah. sleep in it? No, like, I didn't sleep in it. Like like a five-year-old would do cowboy boots? Yeah. No, I did not sleep in the hat. <laughs> I took it off. I did put it where I could find it. Did you put it in the glass box so it doesn't get dusty in that kind no, of... No. No, okay. no, I didn't go to that extreme. <laughs> you can't rule that out, though. No, I'll, I'll put it in the glass box after you leave. <laughs> okay. Because this is the logo that is the iconic WROK logo when it was around the time that they won International Radio Station of the Year, yeah. and people like uh, Fred Spear and Bob Pressman and John Strandon and Johnny Marks and all those people, that's the logo, even though we've been 
through several logos over our time there, mm -hmm. that's the logo that we most identify with. I recreated the logo because you can't send a JPEG to the embroiderer. Right. And had some hats made up. And uh, that's sort of the thank you gift for people coming in and yammering a while. That's very cool. And yeah. I will tell you that I still have boxes of radio files. And inside some of those files are the collateral materials promoting the radio station that has the original WROK logo oh, on it. You mean like newspaper ads and stuff like that? No, like, uh, you know, the stuff the salespeople would take out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, to promote and sell the radio station. Yeah, look at our ratings. We kick everybody's mm -hmm. ass. It pretty so, much, yeah. So you got to buy from us. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of quick stories, you know, from the, uh, the annals of ROK when I was there. I, I guess because the radio station was so prominent in what we did... Being so close to Chicago, it's like we weren't part of the Chicago market, but to a lot of the agencies, mm -hmm. we were connected. Yeah, and we also felt big. Exactly. We did. And we sounded really good. Yeah. Right? And having a stand-up studio, in my opinion, helped it. When we went to the sit-down studio, of course, we went to News and Talk, but man, when you're standing up and you can throw those flames out there... It's physically a, a better show. I think that was the second. I, well, I worked one night on the air at WGBF in. Uh, I think that's Indiana. Yeah, in the, or Evansville, Indiana. You're there right. You go. Because I played Ardeen Taylor's Indiana Wants Me, and now Indiana's Got Me. <laughs> um, but Buddy Scott, before he moved to Chicago, was the program director, and he knew me from Rockford. And I'm driving through, and he goes, Well, why don't you come on and get on the air for a, a shift? So I worked midnight to six. This is the same Buddy Scott that was at B96? Oh, yeah. Before really? he went to B96. Oh, my. Wow. Okay. So anyway, he said, Hey, come, you know, come and get on the air. So I was on the air for six hours. And I did, you know, every joke, every bit I could do, you know. <laughs> what was my story? Well, was it in an audition? No, no. It was just I'm driving through on my way to St. Louis. Oh, my. So he put me on the air. Who does that? I don't know. But <laughs> obviously he did. Yeah. Um, and now I've completely lost track of the oh, story. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I, all right. I think I derailed you. You did. Completely <laughs> and totally. First time, right? <clears throat> and now that I'm a decade older. That never happens <clears throat> with him and I. Ever. Ever. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, so I was telling the story. The rock and roll denim machine. Oh, I love that. Sponsored so, by Levi's. Sponsored by Levi's. So a stand-up stand studio. That's so what we were WGBF about. was the first time that I ever did a stand-up. There you go. And then I get to Rockford, you know, it's like, or vice versa, and whatever. It's like, I loved having a stand-up studio. Absolutely. Uh, you were on stage. Yes, that's true. That's exactly what it is. That is it. You're performing. Hey, you know, yes. when you're a DJ, you're sitting on a booth. You're sitting in a, in a booth. You got your headphones on. You're sitting in front of a microphone. You're at a table. Whatever. Okay, that's cool. I think part of it was where you know, like entertainers on a stage, they will step up to the mic, and mm -hmm. then of course the switch flips, and, and you're on, and on you go. I think sort of when you're sitting at a desk. You almost feel like a sportscaster. Exactly. <laughs> a little bit. Exactly. And you have to sort of mind your P's and Q's. Mm -hmm. Where I think you can sort of do your show with no underwear when you're standing up. Exactly. That's, okay. that's an interesting metaphor, but exactly <laughs> perfect for the situation. So anyway, um, when, when they said that uh, all these different markets are getting the Levi van with Levi denim... And it was sponsored by Levi and Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. And we nicknamed it the Levi Coca-Cola Rock and Roll Denim Machine. Yeah. Beautiful paint job. Oh, it was a fab, fantastic machine. Yeah. And because Geronimo and I worked at night, 
we were the ones that got to go out and do prize giveaways. Oh, yeah. And take the van wherever we wanted to go. That's it. As long as you had some gas, you were good to go. I'm telling you. <laughs> Everywhere. That was probably the most fun I ever had in Rockford. Yeah. Was with Geronimo, going out, giving away money, you know, doing what DJs did back in the day. Yep. You know, it was, again, one of those defining moments in, in my history with promotion and that, do, doing that sort of thing. And we just had a great time. I mean, we were big-time celebrities in that market. And were you like 22, 21, something like that? Yeah, I was trying to think. Uh, that was 76, so I was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was a little older, a few yeah. years older than that. Yeah. yeah, and everybody coming up to you loves you. That's the nice part, too. You know, it's not like you've opened up the complaint department. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be coming up to you. Well, you're entertaining them. Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember that when the ratings came out the first time I was, you know, in the rating period, I had a 62.9 share of the teens. You did not. And had a 45-something 18-plus. Oh, good God. I know. And there's WLS and Landecker, you know, right across the, the dial. You know, in that market, at least I was beating him, which was kind of cool. Uh, of course, I did, you know, get my rejection letter from John Guerin at WLS <laughs> years, a couple of years later. But anyway, um, you know, I wish I would have known this maybe three months ago because I went to an event put on by the Museum of Broadcast Communication. And you saw John Guerin. Yeah, I sat behind him. And you could have said, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> That's right. So I talked to Tommy Edwards. I talked to John Landecker. I spent a lot of time with Chuck Buell, mm -hmm. who was on the air at WLS. But I, yeah, I could have said, hey, John, what's the deal with this shotgun Mark Rivers thing? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and Geronimo actually got hired there, and our friend Lori Sanders was there. Yes. You know? Yes. So, you know, it's like, eh, I was, um, what's the word? I, it wasn't that I wasn't polished. I was more, I was more of a renegade kind of disc jockey, and I didn't realize the power and the potential I had back then oh yeah now okay you, now you, but you wouldn't consider yourself like a loose cannon no okay no, i wasn't okay. like that but but there was some things that i could have done had i known that what they were looking for oh there you okay. go okay because i did have go. my moments yeah you know where uh, either i had some really good bits or i just ad-libbed all the time yeah and you know a lot of times when we sent out air checks, I didn't, I don't know about you, but I didn't necessarily send the same air check to the same five stations for the sake of argument. Exactly. If you knew what they were looking for, you would sort of tailor it a little bit. Yep. And you're saying that's what you could have done had you known. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just took, you know, some stuff that I did and I threw it into a, into a tape and I sent it off to WLS and I got my rejection letter. And I got a lot of rejection letters from different people. Yeah. You know, but every time... It's, so, it's funny because I would either have somebody drive through and listen to me or they would hear me because of bits they heard on other tapes and said, oh, we, we got to have him. Oh, my. So that's what happened when I was in uh, when I was in Milwaukee and then I ended up going to Cincinnati. Big Tom Rivers was the program director in, in Racine, Milwaukee. And then he went to Kiss 96 in Cincinnati, not as a program director, Bob Lawrence was the program director, but they played my tape and some bits that I did. And he said, oh, you got to bring this guy in. So wow. that's when I got a call. And it's like, hey, do you want to come to Cincinnati? It's like, duh. 
Yeah. You know, sure. It's a bigger market, more money, and, you know, whatever. And and for being such a gigantic industry, it is a small community. Oh, it is. It really is. People know people. In fact, I, I know I'm going to get a little bit of this story wrong, but you'll get the gist of it, I believe. And I apologize to Kelly Ryan if I get it wrong. But <laughs> I get the idea. I got the idea that... When I went to Minneapolis, we had our storytellers studio sit down that somehow Tom Rivers found out about it, whether it be Facebook pictures or he actually listened to the oh, no conversation. Kidding. Somehow he caught wind of it. Wow. And I don't know if he's traveling through or there's family there, whatever, but he was in the vicinity. He found a way to contact Kelly and it wasn't maybe, I don't know, a month later. They had dinner together. Oh, that's so cool. And I think they worked together maybe 34 years ago. Oh, wow. So come on, man. Yeah. This, this whole technology podcast, Facebook, Instagram thing, it is so far reaching that imagine those situations that you'll never hear about. Uh, Gary Knoll, for instance. Gary was one of our salespeople at WROK over quite a few years. He was only a salesperson. But then his son, Steve Knoll, came in and did some work for WROK, and his daughter came in and did some work for WZOK over this time period. So we had all three of them in, plus Liz and I, so you've got a lot of people going on at once. So here was like three months later, and Gary calls me up, and he goes, hey, Tim, is it possible that I can borrow a mic and a stand and a cord and a windscreen? I said, sure, no problem. He goes, can I have it for about a week? I said, sure, what's going on? He says, well, I've got our family history that's already written down. I want to record it, and he's got some nice pipes. So he, But I don't think he was ever on the air, and I want to digitize this and distribute it to my family for Christmas. Oh, cool idea. And he says, if we didn't come in and do that sit down, he goes, I probably wouldn't have thought of this. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, six days later, he goes, here's the mic, thank you very much. And he starts... Dubbing off the USBs and wrapping them up. Off you go. That's so cool. Isn't that something? That's so cool. Did you ever do many interviews with either celebrities or, I mean, obviously, if you're a news person, you do more interviews, but did you ever run into, you know, like uh, musical celebrities of any sort? Yeah, there were times where, you know, they either come to the station and you do a bit on the air with them or you take them into the control room or the production room, you know, and you do some interviews and get liners from them, you know, and whatever. Yeah. Hi, I'm so-and-so and you're listening to, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I did, at, at some of the stations I worked for, I actually did the public service shows. Hmm. Because remember, at, back in the day, the FCC said you had to have so many hours a week of yeah. programming devoted to... The public. Yeah. Right? Community engagement. Exactly. What's going on? What are your gripes and pains? Yep. And what are we inv involving? In? So that was like, in my mind, that was like early talk radio. Oh, of course. You know, and I was fascinated by that because I thought, you know, maybe one of these days that's something I would do. You know, who knows? Well, if nothing else, you've, you've got that skill in your back pocket. Exactly. Yeah. So you didn't need it. You know, literally at every station that that either I wasn't managing or or programming or you know operations or whatever, I would volunteer to be the guy that would talk to the community person over here or this organization here or whatever. Wow, because it opened doors. Oh yeah, you're not just a disc jockey. 
Yeah. You know, going to a, a restaurant and, hey, come on over here and get some free food. Uh, you're you're actually <laughs> embedding yourself in the community. Not that there's anything wrong Not with somebody a, yeah, no. giving you free food. There was no payola, okay, going on. <laughs> oh, that, never, God, that, you I, just opened up a world. I never mentioned, you know, the restaurants that gave me free food. <laughs> no, um, not at all. You know. Not repetitively, at least. Exactly, not repetitively. <laughs> hey, I was over at such and such. Hey, you guys have a great, you know, shrimp cocktail or, you know, whatever. Jungle gyms, jungle yeah. gyms. There you go. Jungle gyms. Um, let's all sing the uh, Beakies jingle um, from Rockford. Uh, anyway, uh, I would, you know, talk to people and uh, get to know what's going on in the community and work with the nonprofits and that sort of thing. And I would really make it entertaining. And then years later, when I decided that I wanted to leave, you know, playing records, playing music on the air, and I wanted to do something else, mm -hmm. I started interviewing people that were in the home business space. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And I was sitting around with a friend of mine at the time thinking, I could just start my own talk show. And they're going, yeah, right. You know, you need a local market, you need an audience, you need advertisers, you need equipment. I said, well, you know. Yeah. Well, what would the vehicle be, though? It would be talking to people about home business. I know, but what's the vehicle if you didn't work, if you weren't on a radio station? You buy satellite time and you sell it to radio stations, or you give it away to radio stations. Okay. Okay. Wow, that's a different animal. So that's what I did. It was back in ninety eight, ninety nine, I guess. I found this satellite company that would sell me radio time, satellite time for one hundred and fifty dollars an hour. So they would pay for this little vignette and they're done. No, it was a three hour live show every Saturday afternoon. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. So live from my home, broadcasting to radio stations. But that's a big enchilada. It was kind of big, yeah. I started with three affiliates. Wow. Wow. So uh, when you were mentioning PD, uh, OM, that type of thing, I mean, did you completely go from. I'm on the air spinning records into quote unquote off air management, or was it a double dip? It was usually double dip. Okay. Uh, usually I was either PD or operations manager at whatever station, and I was on the air. Did you like the management part? Some of it. Okay. You know, I liked being the, the person that helped foster the sound of the radio station mm -hmm. and, and, you know, put my fingerprints on it, that sort of thing. Okay. I mean, I obviously. You know, this is not a one-man band. Yeah. You know, you're going to have input from a lot of people. And I got my butt kicked a couple of times from some general managers and owners that said, you know, <laughs> it's not just your show, you know. <laughs> but I opened myself up and, and, and realized that, you know, outsourcing, you know, today is the big thing of letting other people contribute to what you're doing. Right. Um, giving people a voice, giving people the opportunity to contribute their ideas mm -hmm. is a very, very smart approach to management. But collectively, you need to keep your eye on the target. Though, exactly. Too. Yeah, you do. And you got to rein people in. I, I, you know, I had to fire people and they would cry and I would cry and they would cry or and I wouldn't cry or, you know, whatever. Um, and for good reason. I mean, you know, and sometimes they just some people just didn't fit. Yeah. And you, you hated to let them go because you liked them, but they just couldn't, you know, they were a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. And there were some people, you could tell it in their face, and this was mainly not at WROK and WZOK. You could tell it in their face that they knew 
oh God, I made the wrong decision or the PD made a wrong decision in me. Yeah. This is square peg round hole. Exactly. So you had that look in their face. It's, a, it's just a matter of time. Once they realize I don't belong here, I'm going to get the ax. Yeah. And the feeling of that person coming in every time and you felt bad for them because they thought every day might've been the day. Yeah. <laughs> but it just wasn't a fit. It was like a slow death. It, yes, you know, exactly. Because you knew it was coming. The hammer was coming down. You just didn't know what hour it was going to come down. <laughs> yes, exactly. Is this the last day? Am I going to get to say goodbye? Yes. Usually, no. You know, did I ever tell you about the jingle package that I got from Bill Shannon or Johnny Marks, one or the other? And I guess the TM Productions or Jam or somebody would just sort of toss this generic one in with whatever radio station they would sell the package to. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, we need to play your Shotgun Mark Rivers jingle. <laughs> Let's do that now. Shotgun Mark Rivers. W-R-O-K. Oh, that brings back so many memories. Oh, yes. 1977. So the shotgun blow-off. So, so <laughs> That's what we called it. Did you really? Yeah, it was going to be some kind of a promotion. And I said, they said, oh, you want a jingle? And I said, yeah, what do you want to say? And I said, how, how many words? Can I, I don't care. It's like, so coming soon, coming soon, the shotgun blow off with shotgun Mark Rivers. <laughs> I still have it somewhere. Yeah. We never in, used it. I just played the jingle. It's in the garage. There was no promotion. So this, <laughs> so this, this generic jingle that's at the end of the package is, sorry, you've been fired. Yeah. And then, W-R-O-K, yeah. and they just put whoever else sure. Yeah, at the end of it. So it's just that yeah. generic shout. And, oh, God, I didn't anticipate it. You're fired from W-R-O-K. Those are funny. Remember the old uh, emergency broadcast system? Oh, Lord, yes. Okay. Well, oh, my. Well, some jingle, com- might have been L.A. Air Force, they sang the whole thing. Yeah, so I got a copy of it, and every time I, you know, got a chance to play it on when there was an emergency broadcast alert, you know, that they would play, not the real thing, of course, yeah. but you know, the one that tests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd stick it in there. You know, <laughs> this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Right. This is only a test. It sounded like and a Christmas song or it's, something. It's, you know, <laughs> this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. <laughs> It was so funny. Oh, and of course, I was the only one that had it at some of these stations. So, you yeah. know. So anyway, I ripped it off from somewhere. I don't remember right. where. So you, but I think it was LA Air Force. You became the guy with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're Not the that guy. I got hired for any of those reasons. But, you know, that was a bonus, you know, for me coming to your station and did being you ever, a personality. Did you ever interview any uh, celebrities? When you're talking about the music people coming in, I think we got oh, sort my of gosh. derailed a oh, little bit. Oh, you know, uh, Neil Schoen. Uh, LaToya Jackson, Rick Springfield. Uh, I opened for Rick Springfield, uh, doing a little bit at Wolf Trap in Baltimore. That was kind of cool. Oh, my. We gave away a Neil Schoen guitar when I was at B94 in Pittsburgh. I hate to be ignorant, but I don't know who this Neil Schoen is. Schoen, Journey. No, don't know him. Yeah, guitar player for Journey. Don't know the name. Yeah, because wow. you only remember Steve Perry. That's true. Um, I just showed my age there, didn't I? <laughs> so... Uh, real quick story. There was a bit that I did when I was in Pittsburgh, and um, Steve Kingston, program director, came in and said, 
hey, we're going to give away this uh, guitar from Neil Schoen. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Okay. Well, can we do a bit with it? Sure. Why don't we play it on the air and tell people what it sounds like? Okay, great. And I don't know how to play guitar. <laughs> Nobody else in the room knows how to play that, guitar. It doesn't hold you back and from well, doing it, just, though. <laughs> let's try to find somebody. And one of the sales guys played guitar. You just went through the radio station just saying, hey, who plays guitar? Yeah. And I said, Come on. let's let's go into the studio, and I want you to do me uh, a play a little Hendrix, play eight bars of blues, play Journey, play uh, Server to Heaven, play some rock and roll, and now I want you to tune it up a little bit. And this guy could do it. I'm rolling tape, and he's doing this whole thing. This is the afternoon that I'm going to announce that we're going to give away the guitar on the air. Okay. Now, Chuck Tyler was the, the uh, afternoon guy, and I followed him. Okay. I think this was after Geronimo. It might have been before. I don't remember. And this was at WROK no, or this, another station? No, this is at uh, B94 in Pittsburgh. Okay. So I don't remember the sales guy, but he was such a cool guy. Anyway, I put all these pieces on tape, and then I walked into the studio. And uh, at B94, we would do the crossover at the top of the hour when one jock's leaving yes. and the next jock would come in. Yeah. And I'd walk in, Chuck's going, hey, kind of shotgun marks coming up next, blah, blah, blah. I went, hey, you're, you're interrupting my show, man. I said, I, 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 got, I got to show you something. <laughs> what, what do you got? What do you got? I said, took the guitar out of the case, made the noises and everything, literally handed him the guitar and said, this is Neil Schoen's guitar. What? How'd you get this guitar? We're going to give away this guitar on the air. And we're going to present it backstage Oh. After the Journey concert to the winner. There blah, you blah, go. Blah, 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 blah. Wow. Goes, there wow, you man, go. that's great. You, you, you know how to play? I said, well, I'm, I'm a little rusty, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so then. You bootlegged the sales guy's talent. Totally. Oh, my God. So we're playing the <laughs> tune-up thing, and he's going, and Chuck is just playing along. Oh, God. You've never heard the bit? No. I'm sure it's in the garage somewhere. I have it. You do? I have it. Is it digitized? Yeah, it's digitized. Well, let's play it now. Shotgun is here. I am here. <laughs> Better late. What is that? <laughs> Better late than never. What is that? Is that a machine gun? You're going to gun me down. He's got a big uh, a case here, black case. What, I want to sh show you something. Sh show me something. Are you ready? It's not obscene, is it? Nah. He's, he's opening the case. I'll do the play-by-play. -play. He's opening the case. Whew! Check that out. That is a hot guitar. Why, why did you bring a guitar to the radio station? What is this, live radio? You're going to play it here? You're, <laughs> you're going to play it here. This guitar is an Area Pro 2 custom designed especially for one man. Neil Schoen of Journey. Whew, that is hot. It was dropped off here for me to demonstrate. It's not a garage sale. No, no, sure. no, no. This is, this is hot. Well, do it. Are you I ready? Didn't know, I didn't know you knew how to play the guitar. Yeah, we're going to tune this sucker up here. Hold, here. hold right. on. This is what they call live radio, folks. Okay, see if you can do it. Where's my pick? Yeah, is, is that a pick in your pocket, or are you just going to stay? <laughs> <laughs> don't make me drop this, go sucker. For it. Okay, go for it. here we go. Do it. Yeah. Oh. Play something. What do you think? It sounds hot. You gonna play something? It's a little out of tune here. Hold on. be proud of it. I think so. Yeah. All right. I think you're doing it justice. Little little journey here. What's next? Little yeah. journey? All, All right. right. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're good, man. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs>
Yeah, a round of applause here. I don't know why you're doing this. I'm confused. I ain't done yet. Be careful. This is a $2,000 guitar here. Is this a blues here? No, this is not. Oh. How about a little Hendrix? Can you get him that? Yeah. Here we do go. Do some Hendrix. Do it. <laughs> All right. Woo. All right. Ah. What do you think? All right. Shotgun ah. on the guitar. That is hot. Now, from what I heard, this is the one that... Uh, Neil Schoen and Journey used to record separate ways. You serious? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why did you, I don't understand, why did you bring it up here, though? I mean, well, because not only is B94FM going to give you a chance to win albums and concert tickets to the arena appearance, as a matter of fact, both appearances, but each time you do, you'll be able to qualify yourself to win this guitar. Mm -mm. That is hot. And this is the only place it's going to happen. WBZZ Pittsburgh, a little shy of 6 o'clock. Oh! <laughs> at B94 <laughs> FM, here's the one they did it to. Rock and roll! Are you kidding me? That's, I know. That's priceless. The problem is that everywhere I went for like three months... <laughs> They wanted you to play on stage. <laughs> you couldn't walk in a bar. I'm sorry, man. I don't do that in public anymore. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's, the, you know, I didn't even think about that at the very beginning, you know. That is a great story. It was fun. Good God. I remember when you said you were in Rockford. God, was it at the Montgomery Wards? Did oh, I, I interviewed Anna Nancy Wilson when, there, when there uh, Dog and Butterfly came out. Wow. Were they just there they as were, an appearance? Yeah. Selling records? Uh, it was like, hey, uh, Shotgun, go down to Montgomery Ward. You're going to interview Anna Nancy Wilson. It was a re I think it was a remote. I was actually doing the Marty unit and the whole thing. Oh. Nervous as hell. Yeah. Were they pretty accommodating? They were. Oh, yeah. They were great. Wow. They were great. Did you, did you ever... Find yourself in an area, you know, whether the PD says, hey, grab your mic and grab the Marty unit and go. And then you, you're like there 10 minutes and you go, I, I shouldn't be here. I, 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 I'm not qualified to be here. I don't know what to do. Yeah, but you know what? Um, sometimes you're thrown things for a reason mm -hmm. or you're given opportunities for a reason. In Pittsburgh, same station, Bruce Kelly was the, the, the afternoon guy. And uh, they said, Bruce Kelly can't do it for some reason, uh, but we want to do this live on the 6 o'clock news, and we want to interview somebody on B94 live from the studio about the Boy George concert coming up. Oh, my. So now you've got cameras sticking in your face. Exactly. Oh. And, and it was like 20 minutes before they were going to show up, <laughs> and I'm going to do this. <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh, good God, at least, you know, give me a day to think about what the heck I might say. And you've got, what, you know, two or three minutes, they're going to ask you a couple of questions. You know, hey, Shotgun Mark from B94, boy, George is coming. What do you think, man? Yeah, Ral, he's, uh, you know, um, one of the most contemporary artists of our time, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Wait, it's like, we're thinking about a different boy, George, exactly. apparently. <laughs> and, and, and right toward the end of the bit, I got a little rhythm and I had at least a comeback that was pretty good. Yeah. And Bruce Kelly, you know, after it was over, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the office downstairs with Steve Kingston and I'm going, God, 
that was so bad. <laughs> and well, Bruce was saying, nah, I did something worse. And he told me, and I went, yeah, you're right. That was worse. Did they not want you to overthink it? Or they didn't have the warning? They didn't. Number one, they didn't have the warning. Number two, oh. I didn't know what the heck they were going to ask. No, of course not. You know, wow. it's like we're doing a live shot in the middle of the news. Oh, and Boy George is coming. We're here at B94. Shotgun Mark Rivers, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, hey, well, let's play a Boy George song right into it. And then they cut back to the to the TV station. Wow. And I come off and I'm going, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> a train wreck. You know, we had, and I don't know if Chuck Doyle told this story just to me privately or he told it as part of our sit down. But it was the 40th anniversary recently of when the Rolling Stones came to Rockford. Mm-hmm. So one of the current announcers at the WROKWZOK cluster said, Chuck, you were instrumental in helping, you know, facilitate that with Dallas Cole. Can you come in and comment and we'll celebrate, you know, this 40th anniversary? Oh, sure. No problem. So he gets in there and of course they ramp up to the whole thing and this is what we did and this is how we brought him in and so on and so forth. And before they did the break, Chuck asked Double T, what Rolling Stones song are we going to play afterwards? <laughs> oh, wow. Because he just sort of wanted to know. Yeah. You know, are you going into a cold intro? Is it like Angie and you got a little space? What are we going to do? And he goes, we're not going to play a Rolling Stones song. Chuck goes, what? And he goes, yeah, it's all pre-programmed and I can't change any of the oh, wow. yeah. order of the songs. Yeah. And he goes, your damn program director is sitting two rooms away. Go have him overpower it yeah. and play a damn stone song. And he goes, I can't do that. It's like, come on. So that's where radio has come when he asked to be initiated to come in and then you don't do the, the yeah. proper follow-up. Yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't believe it. I would have to bootleg that shit in. I would have to. Exactly. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's a lot of stories from Pittsburgh. And one day um, we got an album in and it was uh, Def Leppard had Rock of Ages on it. And you know how the song starts out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I was doing a bit called the Top 5 at 8. Okay. okay. You play the top five songs that were voted last night, and we're going to play the top five at 8 o'clock. You know, last night, number three was number one, and this week it's, you know, whatever, tonight. So it's like a nightly thing. So Rock of Ages got on the top five. Okay. And you're and, going, damn, no No, intro. it didn't get on the top five. Yeah, I think it was going to be on the top five the next night. But anyway, they're voting on it and everything. You're taking phone calls. What a lot of work that is, you know. 30, 40 calls. Okay, I'm keeping track of this. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's where you need people. Exactly. Yeah, and producers. We didn't, have, we didn't have people back didn't then. Yeah, Morning shows had producer, but, you know, <laughs> not afternoons or nighttime shows. No. So anyway, you're doing everything yourself, and it's kind of a tedious thing. But, okay, how do you make it fun? All right, so I got the album. And I did this bit before, you know, I did it all recorded before. So anyway, it's like, okay, well, uh, I got an album here, the, you know, Def Leppard's new album, blah, Untergliebe and I wonder what Untergliebe and Glauben or whatever the hell it is, <laughs> says backwards. Oh, God. So I said, okay, we're going to take the album out. We're going to put it down. It's like, Untergliebe and Glauben. All right, now let's see what it says backwards. Hey, Joe, your fly is open. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, wait a minute. I don't know if that's... Okay, let me open up another album and let me... 
Because that can't be right. Exactly. Let me see if, let me see if it, you know, okay. You know, I hope we make the top five, you know. Did you incorporate some old guy from the neighborhood to do the voice or what? No, we just, you know, we just did the voice and, you know, put it in there. But anyway, did it. Oh, God. And then uh, started the song. And, um, you know, the guy says, blah, 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 blah. You know, we got something to say. And I said, yeah, Joe, your fly is open. <laughs> That's fantastic. And oh my God. I don't get calls very often that are great calls on the station hotline. Mm-hmm. But Steve Kingston called me on the hotline. He was in his car. He had to pull over the side of the road. He was laughing so hard. He was still laughing when he called oh, me on the phone. And he was your PD. And he was my PD in Pittsburgh. Very and he said, nice. He said, shotgun, <laughs> that was effing brilliant. <laughs> How can we he do said, this again? If you could do that two yeah. or three times a night. Oh, crap, no. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, my Because that's, I mean, that's how legendary disc jockeys are born. You have these... You have these bits that people hear and they and they're, you know, they listen to you for that kind of level of whatever. And I would have those sparks every once in a while. But, yeah. You know, I wasn't I guess I wasn't um, programmed, if you will, to think, oh, I got to do one of these every night. Yeah. Because then, you know, then you're pressured. Then you're thinking, oh, my God, this is a lot of work. Yeah. I want to I want to continue to have fun. Yeah. Have you ever been, uh, whether this is ROK and ZOK or another radio station, have you ever heard something or overheard something within the walls and you go, oh, crap, that was not meant for my ears? Oh, sure. Anything you can talk about? Hmm. <sighs> Probably not. Not, no? with, not okay. without embarrassing somebody. Or, um, or without knowing that the person is already well, dead? Well, I'll, I'll just say this. <laughs> there was somebody that came to me and said, ah, there's some people who will figure that out. I really can't do that. There was something really personal that the wife of one of the disc jockeys came to me and shared with me. Oh. And you were supposed to keep it in the vault? Oh, I did keep it in the vault. You did? Yeah. But holy crap, what if you didn't? Oh, so yeah. yeah, but that's where she came to you directly and said, "Here, come here. I got to tell you something. It's not like you overheard something in between. That's true. In between it, that's cubicles. True. You're right. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't overheard. It was a trust issue. Yeah. And yeah, I never, never said anything. We were in a promotions meeting one time, and you know, when you're talking about those all hands on deck type of promotions, um, you're trying to figure out the hit list of who was going to do what, and we were sort of filling out the list and I came across this person's name and we're trying to find the best fit for this person. And they go, Nope, Nope, no, he can't go there. I go, God, no, he's really good at this. He's, he's done it before. He's really good at it. Nope, Nope, Nope. And I go, well, what about so-and-so? And what about this space? And he goes, Nope, Nope, Nope. And I'm going, God, I'm getting all kinds of rejection. It's like, is this guy not going to do anything for the promotion? I said, what about in this space? And of course, now the program director was pinched because he's denied me three slots yeah. for this guy. And he goes, he's not going to be around when that event happens. Ooh. And I sat back in my chair going, oh, crap. Now you have put an anchor on my chest and I got to work with this guy. And it was nine days that I had to hang on to that 
before he was let go. That's about how long it was when Steve mm. Kingston told me that there was going to be somebody let go and I couldn't say anything. You're damned if you do and damned if you oh, don't. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you ever have any, oh, I guess bloopers, I guess for lack of a better term, <laughs> you know, whether it be your fault or not. You well, know, you can blame anybody you want. Back in the early days of my career, <laughs> when my tongue didn't work properly, in Two Rivers, Wisconsin, <laughs> at 15, Fun 11 15Q, oh. where I taught Kipper McGee how to run the board. He reminded me of that. Yeah. He did. Um, Danny Carpenter was the program director. I was the music director, and Howard Johnson was the general manager. And they brought me in from the tape that I had in Buffalo at WGRQ. We're supposed to play some charity baseball game. And it was going to get rained out. It wasn't going to get rained out. It was going to get rained out. And then it didn't get rained out. The weather was like all over the map. The radio station is in a house on the second floor. And the window oversees the backyard, the radio station. And there's a guy working on the air conditioner. And the weather report is not good. Like a lightning storm coming in? Yeah, it's really, we think it's going to rain out the baseball game and whatever. So the guy's working on the air conditioner, and this is literally an in-the-wall in air conditioner. Okay. And the front falls off. Is this the air conditioner to the studio? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I said, oh, my God. How long is this going to take you? You know, and he's like, oh, I don't know. It's like, well, Jesus, come on. I'm trying to do a radio show here, you know. He's is making the, all this noise is, and everything. Is the mic open? No. Okay. All right. Well, you never know. <laughs> I didn't think it was open. <gasps> oh. So I oh. get up. I go over to the AP wire and I rip off the weather bullet till then. I come over and I go, oh, this damn fucking weather. <laughs> and not 20 seconds later, Howard pats me on the shoulder. I look over and go, yeah, what? <laughs> and he points to the microphone switch and I... Had oh. that moment of, oh, no way. <laughs> and I flip off the microphone and the monitor blares the music. <gasps> oh. And my. Denny's standing next to him, kind of smiling but shaking his head. Yeah. You know? And I come back and I do my thing and, you know, whatever. And my <laughs> shift's over and then I go into this general manager's office and they're you know they're friends but yeah. you know they're also my bosses yeah and they're sitting there and they're going well we've already had a couple of calls <laughs> WOMD guys called and said better tell those guys to turn off the microphones when they're uh, you know talking to people and swearing and blah 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 and it's like oh my god what am I gonna do and we sat around, we talked, and we said, you know, well, you know, this has happened before, and blah, 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 and, you know, not here, but, you know, other places, and, you know, what are we, you know, well. So you're a repeat offender? No, no. Okay. So what we're going to have, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. So just, you know, come to work tomorrow, everything's going to be fine, probably. Lay low? Yeah. And okay. Denny's going, well, we'll probably just have to fire you, and then bring you back as a different name. No. <laughs> I thought they did not. No, but they they talked about it, but they didn't. I don't know how long, how much longer I was there, but everywhere I went was a hey, a shotgun. How's the weather? <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs>
Collector set of 16 ounce Popeye glasses, including all the Popeye characters from Jerry's on North 2nd. Hey, that's pretty fantastic. I'm into esteem yourself, if you will understand. You've also won a free lesson in the Jack Randall School of Broadcasting. All right. All right. Now, Mike, what I want you to do is say hello to Jack. Hey, Jack. Hey, Jack. Hey, Jack. Get the, get the fingers out of your mouth, Jack. Hi. This is Jack Randall, yeah. president of the Jack Randall School of Broadcasting, Hallelujah. which we named after me, Jack Randall. Uh, Here's your chance to join the exciting, fun-filled world of big-time boss radio. Ready, now, say ah. ah. All right, Mike, what's your number one? Good say goodnight, Mike. Goodnight, Mike. And say goodnight to all the girls at Guilford. Goodnight, all girls at Guilford. $1.75, boy, you can't beat that anywhere. <laughs> and there was another guy that worked there. Um, that <laughs> got some girls in trouble and there was some other stuff going on and they thought, well, you know, we might have to fire him, but we'll just bring him back as a salesperson. So they were really looking out for, you know, people. They weren't yeah. really just trying to be, you yeah. know. Cut the strings. Exactly. Yeah. Although that happens a lot in the industry. Yes, it does. Oh and, I, and I've been, I'm trying to remember how many times I got fired. I got fired in Rockford. I got fired in Cincinnati. And, uh, and so many times you've got and change of ownership and, and they don't like the color of your eyes. And or it's the program people. director that comes in, you know, or, oh, Bob's going to rehab. So we got another guy coming in. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he's bringing all of his friends. That's that's exactly it. That has happened. So, And I've not done it 100%. Mm -hmm. But when we went to uh, Frederick, Maryland mm -hmm. to, to build WZYQ, we let everybody go. Oh, no. Because they've been there 10, 12, 14 years. Oh, my. And we came in and we just revamped the whole station. And the owners were excited for us to come in. One guy was a, a former FCC commissioner, and the other guy was a uh, highway patrolman. As far as the old ownership people. of the oh, radio the ownership. station. Yeah. Oh, my. And then Howard convinced them we were going to come in. We did six months of promos in Wisconsin, laid out the promotional calendar, and then just came into town and launched everything. Holy crap. First time I'd ever done that. It was unbelievable. I mean, literally, we created promotions and created promos and teasers in Wisconsin and then did everything exactly the way the calendar said. Wow. It was amazing. I was on the receiving end of that where they had a bean counter. Says that if we simulcast, wow, look at the money we're going to save. Oh, yeah. So they're done that. Yeah, so they eliminated the entire AM staff. Yeah. And then in the same market, you know, because I was out of a job, I went across the street and they decided to completely get rid of all their people who had been there for a long time. And they were old and, you know, not old, but old sounding. Yeah. And they brought all of us in and we went from number nine to number two in one book. There so you go. It, it, I was both on the receiving and the other end all within three weeks of each other. Wow. Yeah, it was really weird. You remember Chuck Doyle? I do. Yep. Uh, barely. I mean, uh, you had refreshed my memory that he had called in mm -hmm. and been uh, one of the listeners of my show. That's right. Back in the day. And he also wanted me to ask you about Mark Elliott. That was a name that he remembered listening Mark to. Mark Elliott. Yeah. I don't remember Mark Elliott. He was in the slot after you. But before Don Geronimo slipped in, and, you know, Don Geronimo. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. Man, I'm trying to remember. I remember Joe James, and he left. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. Mark Elliott was there. He was tended to. He doesn't even show up in my memory. Wow. Because Ger Geronimo came in almost as soon as I got there. Okay, gotcha. 
if you could be back on the air on any capacity with somebody that is either dead or alive, doesn't matter, who would you want to be back on the air with? You mean doing a, um, a duo or just being on the air at the same station? Uh, no, on the air at the same time, a duo. And here's six records, knock out an hour. Who would be that person? Oh, wow. <laughs> Lori Sanders. No kidding. Yeah. But were you ever on the air with her? Well, she was in uh, WRKR in, in Racine, Milwaukee. I think she followed me. Yeah, because I did afternoons and she did evenings. Oh, my. Yeah. Wow. Back then I called her Lori, Lori, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> or Lori, Lori. It was Lori, Lori, Lori. And then it was like Libby's, Libby's, like, yeah, Libby, <laughs> oh, Libby, yeah, Libby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. it was Lori, Lori. So I called her Lori, Lori all the time. Every time I would talk about her on the air, it'd be Lori, Lori. Yeah, she's really good. She's uh, after me on uh, Arizona's Sky 7 that uh, that's how we've sort of reunited. I, I, think, yep. I think I'm in my five and a half years, I think. I can't think. believe it's been that long. Something like We're that. We're still in beta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell people what you've been doing since quote-unquote radio. Well, as I said before, I, I did this uh, talk radio show. It was called The Money Room Show. Uh, we're going to bring it back in 23 as a podcast. A number of other things. I've been doing uh, some internet stuff, affiliate and referral marketing, some consulting and coaching. I'm starting to help other people launch a podcast. So uh, that's kind of a thing that I'm going to be working on you know, going forward. Right now, there's like 2 million people doing a podcast, and mm-hmm. a lot more people want to do a podcast. Yeah, especially they're, after the pandemic and yeah, we're sitting at home. They're predicting there'd be 30 to 40 million people doing podcasts here in the next wow. few years. Well, thank you for setting up Storyteller Studio because uh, not only did we sort of have the desire to do this because we were having lunch with the people that we like hearing stories from, but you gave us the platform for being able to get it out to all these people, and otherwise I don't think I would have known what to do. You're kind of like the epitome of somebody that wants to take uh, information and storytelling you know, to the masses, and that's what you're doing with this podcast. And it's I'm fascinated by the people you're talking to, and you know, there's all kinds of podcasts out there, but, uh, you know, the authenticity of what you do is, is just amazing. Well, it's thank you. So good. I, I think we started out with the radio people, but because it's Storyteller Studio, it could be anybody. I could be sitting down with a filmmaker or anybody that's just got a really interesting history. It doesn't need to be a radio person exactly. as, as we get down the road, but that just happened to be the springboard. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just, you know, you have to have a hobby. <laughs> and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you have hobbies in your basement and nobody ever knows about it and you die. And then they go, well, I didn't know that about him. Exactly. And then there's other hobbies that the world knows about. Mm-hmm. And this just happens to be a global thing for us. I think, too, with podcasting, you have the ability to share information, knowledge, experiences, and history that you've never been able to do before. Well, and also capture the history. And capture it at the same time. Yes. That's sort of, it was a lame idea to get together with these people that if I made a phone call to X amount of people and say, do you want to have lunch? They would probably say no. Right. Yeah. Even though you're having the same conversation, you're telling the same stories, but you're eating at the same time. But if you say, hey, we're doing this project Mm -hmm. and now it takes on a whole different sexiness to it 
and they're going, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm in. How about the 19th? Yeah. And all of a sudden, they just came in droves. And it isn't a one-time thing. You're going to record somebody. They're going to tell you their stories. They're going to talk about the experiences and their life in general. And they're going to obviously participate and, and be you know involved. Mm-hmm. But then it's going to be shareable mm-hmm. with all these other people. And lunch would not be. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Well, Mike Lamb, Shotgun Mark Rivers. <laughs> I've known him since 1977. Thank you so much for inviting me into your house. And Diane, thank you so much for doing the birthday thing, because that was sort of the springboard for getting me out to Phoenix. And Trish, nice meeting you. They've they've sort of been in our peanut gallery over there today. Yes, exactly. And thanks for the stories. I learned some stuff that I did not know about you. Well, thank you very much for having me on Storyteller Studio. And uh, I can't wait to hear uh, other people that you talk to and Hey, you know, this was the first of possibly many because there's so many things that you and I have talked about and have That's done right. Right. that, uh, you know, we could do this again. Right. So in the meanwhile, I'll see you back on our radio station, Sky 7. That's right. All right, man. Sky7music.com. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storyteller's Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting.